Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I'll sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and today's guest is a horror journalist, the head critic and chief content creator for Bloody Disgusting. She is also co-host of the Bloody Disgusting podcast on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. <laughs> beautiful greetings to Megan Navarro. Hello. Hello, indeed. So happy to have you on uh, and talking about quite an interesting film today. So super cool. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, now, before we begin our discussion, I do like to kick off each episode with a quote that relates to our topic. This can be from philosophy, filmmakers, or elsewhere around the world. And today's quote is as follows. The thing perceived, the beautiful object has conferred on it by the beholder a surfeit of aliveness, even if it is inanimate. It comes to be accorded a fragility and consequent level of protection normally reserved for the animate. If inanimate, like a poem, it may, by being memorized or read aloud to others, thereby be lent the aliveness of the person's own consciousness. I will reveal who said that a little bit later as it kind of is time in our discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but first, Megan, uh, I want to quickly d- discuss with you, like, uh, I'm sure you've been asked this before in other places, but not here. Uh, h- how is your relationship with horror? Like, how did that kind of generate and start for you? That started when I was very, very young, uh, and I got introduced to Ghostbusters uh, on oh. tape, and I watched it like every day and it just kind of uh instilled a love of monsters and i would go with my dad to the video store and like basically seek out other monster movies and to his credit he let me watch whatever so uh so yeah i just started you know trying to consume all of the monster stuff i can find and that kind of became this lifelong passion for me wow okay so ghostbusters kind of started it all and i guess you weren't you weren't afraid of no ghosts, it seems. I mean, I I was to not not enough to you know. I think I I got hooked on that thrill, like that mm-hmm. library ghost scene in the opening was such a like spooky, thrilling thing for me. And I you know just that feeling, just the monsters, the creativity, and that trying to chase that high of of the adrenaline rush of fear. So yeah. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of people that I know who got to see Ghostbusters at a young age, they cite that library scene as well for them as this real kicking point, either for not 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 necessarily for horror like yourself, but just for them to like really get sucked into the film. Because up until that point, it's very adult humor. But if you're a child, you know, you do look for more thrill uh, yeah. and, and something to really catch your attention. So uh, I'm happy to hear it made an impact on you as well. And you said you're looking for, like, monsters and stuff. Are there any types of monsters in general that you seem to gravitate towards more and, and maybe why you would, uh, you know, like them so much? Then or now? <laughs> because mm, let's, let's do both, actually. <laughs> I'd like to hear the difference. <laughs> well, I mean, then I was pretty indiscriminate. You know, it was all mm-hmm. new. I didn't, you know, you have a child's brain. I chose movies based on the pictures on the cover box. So, it, you know, <laughs> that meant that I also ended up with a lot of the junk um but 
you know, I think now that I've kind of fine tuned that. Um, so now I like things that are gorgeous as far as practical effects. Um, mm -hmm. but I tend to like, you know, the full blown creature feature, especially aquatic, not necessary. I do like, you know, the, the sharks and the crocodiles and whatnot, but you know, you give me like a Cthulhu or something like that underwater <laughs> and I'm, I'm in love. I see. Do you have like a, a, a just a normal, I say normal, uh, is, do you have a general, as a better word, a general love of like the sea and other aquatic themes, or is it really like a combination with horror that seems to like, you know, get you? I am always fascinated by the sea, but I think I always look at it through a horror lens. You mm. know, I, I think that I am terrified by the sea. Uh, <laughs> there's things in there that we were never meant to discover as far as I'm concerned. So I, I think I always look at it with this kind of horrific fascination. Um, even though I'll never encounter deep sea anglers and they're probably not even a threat considering their size, they, they're still <laughs> inherently terrifying to me. So yeah, I think, right. I think it's, it's always kind of both. I, I'll marry everything to horror if I can. Yeah, I totally get that. That's pretty much been my entire academic career and my my life. I actually had a teacher once say to me, because he uh, himself brought in a lot of horror into his work, because we talked a lot about emotion and phenomenology, and phenomenology being the study of our experiences in the world. It can be a little dark sometimes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he just kind of looked at me once. He's like, there's more to life than horror. I, said, I don't agree. <laughs> I do not agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, and have to agree with the sea as well. I grew up on the sea front. Uh, I, well, at least when I was younger, my formative years were in Pensacola and in, in uh, Florida. So ah. I love the sea, yeah. but I get you. It's kind of like our own kind of terrestrial encounter with the cosmos, if you will. Yes. We can go to it, but it's just as mysterious and weird. We are just tiny little ants in that ocean. <laughs> we were not evolved to be there. No, no. In fact, we did the opposite thing. And I think there's part of us that's like, don't go back. It's not made for you anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I've heated that. Right. Well, good, good. That sounds very, <laughs> you, your work here as a horror journalist and someone who pays attention to the, the narratives uh, has really paid off. You're, you're, you're taking the, the signs and rolling with it very well then. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, then, so have you always thought I am going to do something in the realm of horror as you were getting older, or did that kind of just build its own life? Yeah, I think that that just kind of happened naturally. I, I don't think mm. that you grow up realizing that that's even a career path, mm -hmm. um, unless you are actively pursuing, you know, filmmaking, which I was not. I just, you know, oh. I think... <laughs> Uh, horror is just intrinsically part of, you know, loving horror movies was something that never went away. And I just kind of started up a blog for my own personal amusement, really. I didn't think I would have any readers, and I, you know, and I didn't. But it would just lead to, you know, other like-minded bloggers, which eventually kind of became stepping stones for, for you know, other opportunities to eventually here I am now. So it was... Not something I, I thought would happen. I just kind of naturally happened that way. See, that's beautiful in and of itself. I love to hear these stories because there are so many people right now who are doing the same thing. And it's easy to get demoralized, especially now that there is a precedence for it. There is yeah. a, a whole 
career path carved out by a lot of pioneers such as yourself. And so people aspire to be in these positions, or at the very least, to just even touch what we consider like this this mountain of glory of, of yeah. horror journalism. And then you you know you start a blog or a podcast, <laughs> and you think, well, yeah. nobody's engaging with this thing, and you you just kind of have to keep doing it for yourself, right? Like you the do. passion comes from within, and you have to be patient. Like the goal, I think you set yourself up to fail when you set that as a goal because it takes years. Like people think that mm -hmm. I sprung out of nowhere, but I was writing for my own personal amusement for years. And then I was writing for some smaller sites for free who were, didn't have any income for years before I even got my first paid gig. And even then that was a while before, you know, so it was like tiny baby steps along the way that took a very long time. And I think that people get discouraged, like you said, thinking it's like, I'm just going to start a blog and, you know, field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Well, yeah, but <laughs> not overnight. <laughs> no, exactly. You don't just build a baseball stadium with no sports being, you know, shown <laughs> at yes, the stadium. Absolutely. Oh, well, and I just, I'm really happy that you point that out, though, because, you know, uh, it, that's a great message to anybody who's listening who's like, oh, I'd really like that. Well, hard work, it can and does often pay off. It doesn't mean it will. Uh, right. But, you know, talent is talent. And even if nobody can see it right now, if you really believe in your talents and you are also willing to invest and grow and, and take feedback and, and, you know, be malleable, you know, it goes a long way because look where you are now. Yeah. Yep. Just hang in there. Just make sure that you're <laughs> doing what you want for you. Like you're what what amuses you is a little bit more important than you know, some perceived or a perception of success because the roads are so different across the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super valuable message right there. I, I have to co-sign that and I'm still working on it myself, but keep your confidence up and know you got this, basically. Yeah. And no matter how often life tries to tell you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Excellent. I think we're getting nicely warmed up. I uh, got a bit of a rapport building. We, we, we're <laughs> chatting nicely. So I think it's time for us to start drifting into our film. So what film are we talking about today? We are talking about The Lure. The Lure from 2015. Very interesting pick. When you, when you told me about it, I'd heard about it before. But because I didn't know much, I was like, oh, okay. For some reason <laughs> in my mind, it was a comedy. So I thought, oh. huh, nobody's done that yet. <laughs> but then I saw it today and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I would pick this too. Uh, <laughs> so uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, before we get into Megan's motivations for this and in the film itself, I like to bring in just a brief synopsis that they have on IMDb and see if it actually holds up to our discussion because these films are often uh, far more than IMDb likes to say they are. Uh, IMDb says that in Warsaw, a pair of mermaid sisters are adopted into a cabaret. While one seeks love with humans, the other hungers to dine on the human population of the city. <laughs> I would say that's a little misleading, would you not? I'd say some of it is accurate, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it does it does set up a different expectation for, than what you get. Exactly. Uh, I hear so for for those uh, who are hearing the wonderful sounds of my own uh, siren in the household, uh, <laughs> that is Mercy the cat, and she says hello, and she will probably continue to do so throughout it. There will be no editing of this. Enjoy my cat. 
<laughs> As you should. So you're warned. As you should. Yes, just keep the cat in. And she's playing, so you're probably going to hear boxes uh, tumble around too. But uh, yay, we're, we're people with lives. Wonderful. Uh, on to the lure, though. So when I approached you and I asked for you to think of a film that you found particularly beautiful, well, for one, how quickly did your brain go to this film? And then why did you choose it? Almost immediately. I think that this is probably okay. the first thing that popped into my head um, for for many reasons. Uh, one, I think it's a movie that likely hadn't been discussed before. I don't think a lot of people immediately clicked to this or even aware mm-hmm. of its existence. Um, so that made it an easy choice. But two, I just it's it's stunning on a visual level. It is stunning to me on an emotional level. It's just uh, it's one of my favorites hands down i can see why and yeah i agree the visuals uh the story and the sound in this movie Mm -hmm. i'm so happy you Mm -hmm. brought this one in because a i don't think i've ever seen a modern horror musical so (laughs) that was nice and refreshing i think like it's pretty much like rocky horror was where the, the the timeline stopped for for me when it came to the the two coming together yeah so nice to see what's uh going on in the you know, the 2000s uh, with this genre. And secondly, even in... So uh, talking aesthetics in general is already not super common. Talking about beauty is even less common. And then within all of this, talking about sound and music in the context of film and aesthetics is just really under-discussed and looked at, even in academia. So I'm really happy that we have an opportunity to kind of have to, because <laughs> yeah. it's really fundamental to the film. Absolutely. Uh, so let's see, where are we going to start with this one? Um, you know what? I, I, let's. How about we start with the start? I, I, this isn't necessarily going to be a play-by-play kind of podcast. Right. We, we're going to bounce around, go into some spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film yet, I do urge anybody to go check it out. Uh, I know in certain regions it's on Netflix right now, so it is easily accessible also on criterion channel um hey. at least yeah so okay there you go so if you're, <laughs> if you're stateside north america or uk criterion check that out as well uh i love so the opening shot then i think already sets up a lot of the tone for the film where you have the band just playing on the beach i thought yes. this is a wonderful way to introduce these characters and um, so for me, what was going through my head when I was watching, of course, you're, you're trying to pay attention to the lyrics since it's all in Polish. Yes. You have to really read what's going on. And therefore, you actually pay attention to the lyrics, in my opinion, even more strongly than you would have just listening to the song. 100%. Right? And I love that because the amount of times that the music... It's not like a typical musical where people are just looking at you, fourth wall breaking and telling you how they feel. They're making music or they're well, either they're creating it or they're performing mu- like pre-existing music that really pinpoints the emotional core of what's going on. And in this case, it all had to do with love and loss and tragedy. I thought it was very interesting uh, opening. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's a very, very clever way uh, to, to set it up, really, because these people... I mean, everything, the music, the kind of eerie otherworldliness of the Siren sisters. I mean, that's exactly Mm -hmm. how you, how would you get the Sirens onshore and into the human world, into this particular world? You've got this trio of musicians, like just 
who does this? I I mean, obviously this <laughs> this band does this, but they're they're just kind of by the shore and playing music and getting drunk, very very tipsy already. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I guess something about it already is casting a spell from that opening. Just it's it's gorgeous. That's the vibe I got from it too. Is that it's you know the sirens themselves cast spells throughout the whole film, which is you know connecting to the mythology of the entity. And I loved how it's almost as if the music of the band cast a little bit of a glamour on them. They really wanted to check out like what was that? What is yeah. this vibe that we're kind of hearing? And as soon as they they heard it. It really, what I loved about the story of this film is it really combines seafaring mythology with the kind of seduction of sh- like the the show world. Yes, yeah. On a small scale, we don't really go big, even though they do say they're going to go go to America next if they had left. Uh, so I was very curious what they were planning on doing after that. Um, but yeah, the, the entertainment world being explored this way, I thought, was a very smart way not only to make it a musical, but also to explore glamouring, basically, uh, yeah. that word in, in, in multiple ways. Through a coming-of-age story, it's it's mm-hmm. really, I mean, if a lot of t- when you're having a story, you need some kind of entry point into that, and usually there's like an audience proxy, but to have two mystical creatures be that audience proxy is such a kind of clever ingenious move i'm happy you brought that up i normally in a movie like this you would have the sisters so uh, also again if you haven't watched it but you're interested just in following along so the two sisters you have golden who is really dark haired and then you have uh silver who's more of a kind of strawberry blonde redheaded sister and yeah, normally you would have them as the antagonists and you would follow all of the humans and see how they've kind of disrupted their lives. And I felt there was a nice back and forth there. They kind of shared that space. But really, yeah, I'm not used to the magical creatures being more or less the proxy for the audience. And that was super cool for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives this whole interesting relationship push and pull throughout because you've got... These two, I mean, essentially animals. I mean, they're treated like Mm -hmm. animals and they're being exploited, but they are still essentially animals. So when push comes to shove, you corner animals, what happens? So it's like this crazy little, it adds that threat of violence throughout, but yet it's still beautiful. Yeah. And I think that comes from the fact that they're exploring humanity a lot in this as well, especially mm-hmm. through Silver, how she has this drive to love and feel yeah. the love that humans love, but also to live amongst humanity in a pure way. Since about, I'd say it was about two-thirds or so into the film, she decides to get corrective surgery and, and have her tail removed, which I, I this movie goes in places that I did not see it going. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it's amazing to me too because it really is just a take on the Little Mermaid, in its core, uh, yeah. at least the original story by Hans Christian Andersen. So you know it has a lot of the same story beats there. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting how that isn't as adapted, like at least not as frequently as 
it would seem in this genre. Very often they just kind of play off sirens as like monsters. Yeah, I just, I mean, I guess when you you have aquatic horror, it's a little bit tricky to do, period, because, you know, you either Mm -hmm. film in water and that's a whole set of complications or you don't and then you struggle with making that look authentic. And so I think that's why it's kind of a niche subgenre. But yeah, I, I don't know why a lot of the uh, fairy tale origins haven't really been done through the horror lens. We have fairy tale horror, but that's very niche and it's usually not mm-hmm. that um, close or faithful to the source material. But yeah, I just, this is literally the little mermaid and it's bloody origins mixed with the, the director's kind of upbringing in an eighties Warsaw kind of nightclub. I think if I remember reading correctly a long time ago, it was like, her parents mm. or her mom owned one. So that's where a lot of this kind of uh, atmosphere and visuals comes in because that's something she was very familiar with when she grew up, you know, in that okay. setting. Yeah, okay. That explains a lot. Yeah, there's a, there's a very strong believability to the whole thing. And, you know, as somebody myself who's been in doing comedy and stuff, you, you go to a lot of nightclubs and bars and uh, you get to see what other artists are up to. And indeed, the, the types of performances that they were showing, I've seen so many like them. It was really refreshing to see this done in this kind of like pseudo music video style, but in a very grounded kind of way. I never yeah. felt like this movie relied a lot on camp as you normally see in a musical which was fascinating to me i don't think i've ever seen a musical just kind of go oh no no we're not going to be very campy about it though no it's it's pretty earnest yeah ah perfect word earnest i I, yes (laughs) uh that's a great descriptor for how i felt when watching this film and so then knowing that you know the, the, the the writer and director have this connection to that world it does resonate pretty strongly there for me. Mm-hmm. And then I, I want to know then, so is there a particular, I know there's a lot in this film that we can, you know, dissect from the lens of beauty, but I'd love to know from, from you then, is there a particular scene or moment, visual, anything that your brain tends to go to real quick when you think about the film that's just like, this is a beautiful moment for me, or at least one of the stronger ones. Uh, there's too many. Um, I know. <laughs> there's there's so many. Just the anytime they're on stage is you could probably just think you know, close your eyes and pluck one and it would apply to, to beautiful. Right. But the the stage when they're performing in that club, um, whether it's like what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, burlesque like, mm-hmm. you know, that's really gorgeous. The photo shoots that are also kind of exploitive in this model beauty sort of way is gorgeous. But I, I think I always, as far as performances go, think about the one where it's almost like rock music with the whole mm. green light. It's mm-hmm. like cast in a green low uh, glow um and the the whole audience is just totally under their spell to the point of intoxicated but there's a power to them they it's they're feeding off of this and just between the music and the the aesthetic of it and just the emotional impact kind of what all of this means uh i just really 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 love that i love that scene too i can now, granted, I saw it for the first time today, but I have the type of 
in theme. I have a very goldfish kind of brain. So, <laughs> you know, little details start to just drift off after a little while. So like, and, you've only and, seen it once, so that's fair. Exactly. But so it's very, I'm like, yeah, I can recall exactly the, the sounds and the way I felt when I was watching that scene when you're mentioning it, because it was a very impactful scene for me as well. It's a big kind of story climax for it as, as well when we're exploring the relationship between these two sisters after they've had some frictions. But for them to really, like, go out there and just unabashedly be like, that's it, we're, we're sirens, we're mermaids, we're doing our thing, and we're going to have fun with this. It was such a cool scene. I especially loved how, like, with the frenzy of the audience, they started to crowd surf, and then mm-hmm. the audience just kind of naturally got involved in their choreography. It yeah. was like the visuals in that scene. And also, you know, you mentioned that color palette, this kind of greenish glow. It yes. invokes that aquatic nature of that they have to them. Whereas before that, they were just kind of performers in this world. But it did feel like the first performance that was like they were in control at that moment because they were supposed to be backup singers. And right. I love very quickly that did not happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. This is kind of like the tipping of the scale where it's like, okay, we are now coming into womanhood. Therefore, we are coming mm-hmm. into our own power and you cannot just exploit us anymore without problems. Exactly. And I think that's also where the ideologies between the two sisters start to split as well, where since one is more focused on love and one is in, you know, more focused on empowerment and agency. Yes. So, and I love that that was explored through their music a lot. And in fact, most of their fights were also done, not just through song in a very musical way, but it's almost as if they were singing like old children's songs from when they grew up as a means to, I guess, settle a conflict. I don't know. It was a very interesting way they tried to handle that in some of the scenes. Yeah. It's it's like this weird reminder that they are not of this world, but I think um, it just speaks. It's just yet another example that this movie forces you to not take this art literal. You Mm -hmm. have to kind of let it wash into you and, and kind of interpret what some of this means because yeah, yeah th- there's not really any handholding. There's, I mean, it's not to say that this is a challenging movie and you won't understand what's going on, but you can't, you know, it's not like a, a typical conventional way of telling this story. No, there are a couple scenes for sure that are like if you know the kind of language of musicals, makes total sense. Right. But if you aren't really adept that that or studied anything like that you might I, I even i got a little lost with one or two of them I'm like i don't know narratively what they're trying like if that mattered so much or if it was just a scene of emotion which is usually the case yeah in those sorts of moments uh, a lot of the scenes with golden for instance were basically her showing her animalistic side bubbling up through her frustrations and apart from like one or two murders i, I felt that most of them were more explorational than blatantly narrative if, if, if you get what i'm trying to say yeah totally yeah i mean yeah as, as far as a narrative goes they don't seem to make much sense but but then you kind of think about what emotion the director is getting out of it and it's you know s- silver is completely smitten her first this is <laughs> yeah. her first love she's fallen for the guitarist and uh yeah, and that's the she's the the little mermaid in this scenario. Whereas yes. the the coming of age sexual awakening manifests more as literal man eating for Golden. 
<laughs> Very much so, literal man-eating, yes. And in fact, I think the one moment where she has a sexual encounter with a woman, she lets her live, doesn't she? She does. And that's where it gets a little bit kind of, I mean, because this was the director's feature debut, which makes it all the more impressive for me. Wow. Um, yeah, but this is where you can tell a little bit that it is her first feature because that character actually meant to be a bigger part and got trimmed. So, right. she, you know, that. yeah, if you look, um, you know, Criterion Channel specifically or the Criterion, if you want the hard disc, but um, that they, they show like a deleted scene of her coming back in the end and trying to stop that final kill and, you know, trying to literally shoot gun down Golden. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, because okay. it's like, yeah, so I think that that was a setup that they just kind of it faded away into the ether in the in the long run, which works right. for me better, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, when you say this, I'm really happy they cut that out because I felt that final scene was pretty perfect the way exactly. it was edited now. But the subplot, it's a shame that we don't have any of it because, yeah, when she's like, oh, yo, you should have been careful with who you eat and the, the Marines care. And I'm like, the Marines? Yeah. Okay. Like, oh, wow. The, oh, sure. Military, I guess, uh, is involved in this very small scale story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess they kept it in because it's it's a cool sequence. You know, it, it does show it. Th- we haven't seen through for Golden her sexual awakening too clearly because we've seen her hunting. So right. this was the first time she was just enjoying herself and exploring sexuality. So. I, I can see the importance of that, but indeed the whole build up to it was kind of out of the blue, really. Yeah. Um, but it led to a really cool scene. And frankly, I feel like any time the music was playing, nothing was wasted. It was all really interesting to me because I've had it before with musicals. Like, I, I don't hate them, but I don't love them. And I think it's because a lot of them meander just a little bit. Yeah. And then... To, for for me, the music makes or breaks it. Like if you're not vibing yeah. with the music, then it's definitely going to be so much harder to to connect with it. And this was not the case for me here at all. Oh no, I vibed real hard with this with this movie. I mean, it's basically toxic disco industrial rock nightmare. I loved it. Everything yes. was so good. Pop glamour. Same. It it could have like this could have been straight out of Dragula, basically. Yes, a lot of the yes. Stuff. I loved also the camera work too. I want to let you point out like it, it's it's more than just how the music was. Um, it, you know when I, for instance one of the introductions we have to the band the Lure, we mm-hmm. focus on the lead singer's face and it's framed in such a way that it's almost like a nineteen sixties uh, American. Uh, what, what is it called again? American dance band? No, uh, I forgot okay. what it's called again. Bandstand? Bandstand. That's the word. I want to say dance band. I don't know. Yeah, American <laughs> Bandstand. It had that kind of framing on it and stuff where it was like super retro, but you could tell from like just the, there's something about the way they were bringing themselves that there's a modern edge to it. Yeah. Which, by the way, is this movie set in any particular time period? Do, it do we have it any is clues? the 80s. It is it's the, the 80s. 80s. Okay. Yeah, but it, it's not. I think that this is the perfect way to do it because so mm-hmm. many um, 80s, like retro set movies, lean way too hard into it and like to oh, scream, yeah. look, we're 80s. But this is 80s Warsaw. This is set in the 80s. And you get that vibe just enough 
you know, through yeah. through the costuming and a little bit of the hairstyling and stuff, but never enough to be like pastiche. Yeah, exactly. I didn't feel like they were trying to evoke anything that's come before it or any specific album or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's the problem with a lot of like 80s set modern films is that oftentimes it's a filmmaker that's also trying to share a feeling that they had when they were growing up in that time. And then, you know, it's nostalgia, basically, is what it turns into. Exactly, yeah. And this movie wasn't, like, about nostalgia. It's like, hey, remember how people were in the 80s? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And therefore, if you existed in that time, you just kind of didn't really notice it, did you? You know, you're not in day-to-day. that's just how it was, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm happy to hear that, because it was really just kind of messing with my head that I was like, like, what is this thing set? yeah. (laughs) But that also kind of adds to the whole otherworldly fantasy part of it. it. It could, it feels like it could be in our world, but also one foot out of our world. And of course, by virtue of being a musical, that already kind of happens to you. Yeah. And by virtue of having actual mermaids in it, it does it even more to you. So yeah, I liked how they they play a lot with the different types and tropes and stuff that they explore in the film. Because it's not like they're breaking any new ground with any of the elements, to, in my opinion, but they do them all so well. I think it's more the approach that is the, the groundbreaking part. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I always appreciate that in a movie as well. I think that that's just try to figure out how your voice is telling a story that we might already know. Yeah, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, that's kind of tricky to do. Uh, You know, the more well-versed in storytelling we are and the further along we get, yeah, bring bring a new way, a new approach to it. And that's that's all it can take for the magic to happen. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So we broached a little bit about how the lyrics in the film tie into the narrative quite strongly. Now, I don't I don't recall anything off the top of my head of like li- like literal <laughs> lines from the film, but um I just want to talk about that just a little bit though because I, I obviously musicals are going to do this. They they need to have that. Hello Mercy. Uh, <laughs> she's trying to it, demonstrate that. Uh and in this case though, I thought it was interesting how it was more that he just talked about mood feeling it was a very interesting way the lyrics worked for me i don't know if you felt the same yeah yeah i guess i didn't really like consciously pick up on that but i think Mm -hmm. i had to have because this entire thing you know as i said earlier you're you're really not meant to take it at narrative face value because it's more about the the emotion of of this coming of age story and that i think that yeah i think that has a lot to do with the music and and the lyrics itself is like this is where they are mentally on this journey that yeah i think that's what i was picking up then like it 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 was very i'm so used to a musical kind of just flat out telling you I am happy about this or <laughs> I, I am now going to get a banking account and then have a big song and dance number about it. Uh, and in this case, they would just take kind of quiet moments in people's lives yeah, and natural moments when people would kind of sing to each other. Or the looks between the sisters. They, I mean, there's so much nonverbal communication in a musical that is not normal. <laughs> yes. 
Very true. You know what? I'm, I'm going to shift into a different direction now because you just inspired a different conversation I find very, very interesting. <laughs> okay. I loved how they communicated through, like, sonics, the way yes. like, whales and stuff. And yet again, it's kind of like singing. It's mm-hmm. like the, the songs of the ocean. And I love that they – I've never seen that before with mermaids and, and, and sirens. So, granted, most of the time you get, like, one – and a bunch of people who have to deal with it. Right, <laughs> so right. It was really nice seeing more than one, really insinuating like the ocean's full of these. And yes. you are eventually going to have to coexist is basically what they, that's where some of the horror comes into it. Like, oh, they've been infiltrating the surface for longer than you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like a, a rite of passage type thing, like uh, Rum Springa or something where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, you, you want, you're going to, want to see what the the human world is like when you reach a certain age. I mean, they, they had planned a tour, like you said earlier. They were going to yeah. hit up uh, America and see what that was like. So, yeah, but that's – I think everything about the way that they approached and designed these particular mermaids is very atypical. The sound, they're almost like whale calls between them, um, the teeth – are are way more marine like. I I don't think yeah. that you've even seen like the teeth like this before, and obviously the tails and yeah the anatomy of it. They thought a lot about how to approach these uh, mermaids as actual things that would exist in the sea. Mm-hmm. I also loved how. They didn't put, like, often you see, like, little touches of them, maybe, like, scales, like, patches of scales on people's skin or give them a weird, like, sheen or something to make it really clear, like, they have the same glow that a fish's scales might make if they, you know, if light hits it. Yeah. Uh, that was really nice that this the upper body was human. Yeah. And, and then I love that when they get their legs, it's basically just a farce. This is yeah. just them mimicking what... <laughs> they they're, they're like a Barbie doll, like <laughs> yeah. with the parts. Yes, there's there's no uh, there there's no genitalia, no human genitalia, no belly mm-hmm. buttons, no nip. I don't think do they have nipples? Yeah, they did. They did have nipples. Yeah, yeah. so like uh, uh, upper body was all upper body. Accurate. Yeah, but everything because the tail when it's aquatic, I think hits above the the belly button. So yeah, yeah, that everything from that below is not human. It's just a pretender. And it's, it was so interesting to see, like, that whole scene at first. Like, you, you, you've used the word a few times, and, uh, you know, we can get into this now, um, exploitative. There's a lot of exploitation in the film without this mm. film feeling like an exploitation film. Which right. is so refreshing that you can finally get some voices that are like, I'm going to make the comment that these types of films do without doing the thing <laughs> that I'm commenting yeah, about. Absolutely. And there's still, you know, there's still nudity, there's still sexuality explored, but the exploitative nature of the manager and of the band themselves with these girls is subtle, but there are just enough moments where it's severely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And just when they wanted to really like show off, granted, in some of the moments, it's like, well, could you, would you have done any different in their position of like, what do you do? Like, you've got to show somebody like, this is so cool. They don't have genitalia of any kind. Nor do they seem to have like a backside, basically. I can imagine somebody's imagination or just sheer like wonder would get them like, look at this, but then not realizing like, but they look very human and maybe you are 
abusing these people uh, and, and exploiting them in a very strange way. Like, what are you doing? Do you? Yeah. Do you, you, it's clear that you're seeing these girls not as girls. Yeah, which it just goes back to that whole they're treating them like animals, like they're pets, which, you know, are they? No, they're not really. Mm-mm. And that that comes back to bite them in the end. But yeah, that it's what do you do? I don't know. What would you do if you saw a mermaid who sung you, you know, to pull them ashore? I don't know, but some of that, yeah, like, I think that that's, it's kind of this weird, just the way the director weaves some of this throughout the this coming of age story. I mean, that, the, the cabaret owner, the one that's super sleazy at his first introduction, and they're encouraging mm-hmm. him to, to get a feel for these mermaid's anatomy it's such a sleazy subtle but understated moment they could have they could have really pushed that far and thankfully they didn't but i mean later on it's never spoken of again it's more exploitation and how they work and use these girls for for performances and for you know drawing in audiences it's it's less about the sexuality than where it begins so it's so weird how how they do this it was weird. I <laughs> especially like so the the owner, they did an interesting thing with him. How they show how really problematic and sleazy people can still have good business mindsets and on the surface when you see them walking around can be very good at their jobs and then the shit they do behind scenes. Because I was shocked cuz he he sleazed me out the moment I saw him. I could I know those yeah. people. I I vibe with a guy like that. And yet one of the first things he has, he's just correcting one of the people to be like a little more representative. Somebody comes up to him. He asks, hey, what's that smell? And the guy's like, I don't know. I have a cold. And he's like, well, then go home. Don't get everybody sick. And I was like, oh, yeah. what? Really? Oh, I did. okay. Okay. <laughs> expect this uh, level of, of care from this employer. And then he's walking around. And just every moment he criticizes anybody for anything it's kind of warranted. Like he's being just yeah. very good businessman. And then they finally introduce the girls to him. And the first thing he says is this is an establishment that serves alcohol and has stripping in it. And you bring these underage girls here. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Oh, but they're not real people. And then he just shows himself almost immediately. Yeah. It, it, it's like, it turns on a dime, but like you were saying, I am really happy that they didn't go too deep into him i think a lot of films try to give too much time for yeah the exploration of just horrible you know mindsets basically and ideologies when really like we get that <laughs> we've had enough of that we know that we've stuff really yeah. well so it's really nice to see what they're doing instead of the girls absolutely i think it's it's just one minor detail of many to highlight again that these these girls do not fit into this human world and these people will not accept them no matter how hard they try that they are human, but keeping it solely focused on gold and silver. This is their journey. This is their unfortunate discovery of that throughout. Yeah. Also, you brought up another good point that I think makes a lot of the exploitation like more thematic than a blatant like grimy exploitation story is mm-hmm. the fact that they had agency from the moment they started they had they glamored the band 
and yeah. wanted to come to shore and wanted to be in the world of entertainment. Yeah. So they have this kind of whatever kind of attitude about a lot of the stuff because they're like, you can exploit me as much as you want to because at the end of the day, I'm more powerful than you and I'm just having fun. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they're they're basically children playing adults in in this crazy, strange place. And some lessons uh, are very hard to learn. Some are a little costly to learn, yeah. you know, into adulthood. But yeah, it's ultimately like there's a fearlessness about it. Mm-hmm. They they're like, we will eat you. <laughs> exactly. I think it's the fact that they can do that so easily that Again, I would expect a film like this to maybe have gone more into a realm of the types of topics that women and and AFAB people have to deal with all the time in the real world, make it real heavy. And I'm so happy that they're like, well, except for the fact that they can just turn around and overpower you and eat you. So what about love? You know, yeah, an equally devastating, hurtful and traumatic thing to go through. Because there's no, like, physical scars there that you wear. You just deal with it yourself. And I was quite blindsided by it and super happy that that's the direction they went with of the story. Yeah, I I admit that the ending totally sucker punched me uh, the first time. and that's <laughs> But that's also why I love it. Because I think if it was this happily ever after would not have have hit as hard as it did i i wholeheartedly have to agree on that one and on a philosophical sense since that's my background and and kind of the progenitor of this this podcast is uh when we discuss beauty and philosophy often it is likened to the feeling of love so not necessarily that love is the only thing that is beautiful or the only feeling but it's just that when we experience our connection to beautiful things, it's almost as if we are, for a brief moment, grasped with the same emotional core that we might get with a strong feeling of love. And therefore, a lot of writers have conflated the two (laughs) and, and primarily focused on that. But so for me, it was really beautiful to see Silver go through her journey and frankly, choose love there at the end. So, you know, like The Little Mermaid, where she turns into foam because she runs out of time, Mm -hmm. I love that with Silver, it's a conscious choice that she would rather be sea foam and have this man that she loves be happy than, you know, kill him. Which, that was the the addition to this. I was like, well, if you kill him, you fix it. I loved, that's where the, it made sense to me. Like, this is why you have two of them. And it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I I admittedly rooted for her to to go through with it, you know. Oh, me too. I, I I wanted her to do it. Um because yeah, he discarded her so easily despite the fact that he he told her exactly who he was and what he wanted out of that relationship from the get-go. I think you know, he he told her from the beginning you're just an animal to me and yeah. And she had the that kind of magnetic pull um that kind of aroused his baser impulses for sure. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was never in love with her like she was with him. This was her first love. And I really, you know, just for breaking, just for the sin of breaking her heart, I was ready for her to to rip open his throat. <laughs> um, 
Because yeah, I loved I love Golden and Silver so much. But yeah, I I think that had she, there would have been some kind of satisfaction, but not nearly as much as the utter heartbreak that you feel for Golden. And I love that that that's where the story direction took. I love that she mm-hmm. held to her convictions in the end. I love that so did her sister. Yes, I love that she really was like I, I am a man eater. And I am a siren. I am not a human being. And I'm not even going to pretend to be one. Yeah. And, you know, she could have just stood back afterwards and been like, that was my sister's choice. But like, no, fuck that. No. Yeah. And she, I mean, she was in a a complete moment of immediate grief, too. I mean, that the one thing that was true throughout is that even if these sisters have diverging um, paths as far as interests go, they loved each other. These two were bonded so hard. So yeah, mm-hmm. that that felt completely authentic, both to Golden as a character and to to their bond. And I think that's also why it's so important that they chose to have the two sisters because there are so many layers to it now. You have that familial love mm-hmm. for that sisters might have. You have, of course, chosen families addressed a little bit in the film as well. Mm-hmm. And then you have the fact of, you know, if it had been an either-or situation of just, are we going to go for the cathartic, kill him kind of ending, or yeah. are we going to go for the, no, I choose love, I, you, you, you're you going to get a split audience. You're going to have people who go like, well, I really didn't appreciate the depiction of somebody who doesn't stand up for themselves and, like, really choose themselves. Yeah. Because more of that, please. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at the same time, there are enough people who are like, but do you know what it's like to, like know it's wrong but just yeah. be happy for for and especially if it's not a situation where he was being like horribly abusive to her which is the case here he really just he he did things that are emotionally devastating he cheated on her and he got a new relationship very yeah. real i love that they chose like real hurt there that's yes. everyday hurt um it's not the same as you know a locked in abusive relationship as a lot of films would have chosen to really kick that catharsis up so it makes sense when she's like why would I get in the way of him being happy if the whole point of being in love with him is to mean it? Yeah, it would have cheapened those feelings if she chose self-preservation in the end. Yeah, so I'm happy that we also have Golden to be like, nah, fuck that noise, and just kind of yeah. like take it apart because you you get both that you need because both are just as important. I was rooting for Silver the whole time. I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. You're better than this. <laughs> uh, I mean, you got your tail removed. You thought it was the fact that you were not human that... That's why he wouldn't love you. But he said, I will only see you as a fish. Yeah. And once she got rid of her, I mean, the the, the loss of her lower torso lost her music. She lost her siren ability. She couldn't produce music. And the music was the one thing that they really did connect with besides this, you know, physical attraction. There was something... Mm -hmm. But yeah, once she lost that, there was no common ground. So what what... Why would he stay? That the spell is broken. Yeah. And it's it's heartbreaking to see. I mean, it's nothing like when you you're in the moment and you're rooting for her, but yeah, on a on a moral scale, he technically didn't do anything wrong except for not really consider her feelings. Which is it is wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, yes, but like not like a death sentence type situation. Exactly. I mean, in movies, totally usually is. Uh, if it were like a slasher, we'd be like, kill him now. Uh, <laughs> but it, this wasn't. And because it had been so grounded throughout the entire film, I was feeling the whole way through, like, I, 
this guy's a douchebag and the big problem I'm having in the conflict I'm having is he's not a liar though. He has flat out made it clear how he feels. Yeah. She's, so, she's just first love can't read the red flags, which yeah, is understandable. Exactly. She, she's just going through the, the heartbreak that, you know, many of us go through very early in age and unfortunately maybe later in age as well. Yeah. Uh, but when you feel it, yeah, that's pretty much like you have that dilemma. Do I basically uh, destroy them <laughs> <laughs> or do I just take a step back and, and do me basically? And then you get the extra sense. Now, this is where the, the beauty really kicks up for me is mm -hmm. the knowledge that she'll die. So we have these sirens who are larger than life characters who seem impenetrable. They even kill them at one point by breaking their noses, throw them overboard, and then they're back. Because why would you throw a mermaid in the water and expect them not to get better? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was very strange. Like, guys, okay, whatever. I mean, to be fair, that's that they're humans who are not thinking, like, what what can mermaids do they never really even asked they they really just no. treated them as what can mermaids do for us so it's like yeah we gotta expose the bodies this this is the quickest way to do it yeah not connecting the dots exactly like oh yeah let's just send them home <laughs> uh but it, it does prove that they're almost like immortal to an extent because they were dead 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 and they came back to life and then we have that tragedy of in real life if you have a sibling who is going down this path, who's putting their heart out there for somebody who doesn't love them, and you're trying so hard to appeal to them, you know, usually something like a wedding day is a moment where you're like, I'm here for you, mm -hmm. and we're going to build this back together now. You have the door finally opened because they got the closure or the clarity that they are not going to be a part of this relationship. You don't get that as a siren. No. And so, yeah, all Golden has left is pain. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that ending. Oh, that ending. That's so good. She, yeah, that's a hard lesson. I mean, I think it is. one of the things that I love, I mean, obviously, besides what we've discussed thus far, is that it just leaves you with lingering feelings of what if and where next. Yeah. Because I don't know that there would have been any other recourse than than what happened which is fantastic but what what does golden you know look like in the future I'm, she's going home with her tail between her legs so to speak <laughs> she's she's got a, a hurt that she never anticipated she entered the human world feeling fearless and unstoppable and leaving without the most important thing to her which was you know her sister so it's like, where, what does that world look like? What, what does it look like for her? Because that's more than the loss of a first love. That's something that takes a lot longer to, to recover from. I wouldn't say get over because you're not going to, but yeah, mm -hmm. just that lingering thoughts and emotions that it leaves you with is just, it's a doozy. And so doozy beyond just the fact that you lose a family member, but think about like how it's also this tale of like tradition versus more progressive free spirited thought processes. But then it's like, you need to, it's like a cautionary tale of like, just because you don't want to believe everything that your elders have passed to you. Cause some of it is 
bias. Uh, yeah. Um, some of it is wisdom. And, you know, you have Golden's like, well, you'll turn into sea foam. And she's like, oh, those are just myths. And you're like, uh-oh. You know, well, we are, we, we grow tails when we hit water. I think we can <laughs> believe things like sea foam a little bit. And Golden's trying really hard to be like, I don't know if that's something you should not believe right now. I'm talking to an elder who's been here for a while. And yeah. he's saying you need to, you know, tone it down. So, of course, she has to reconcile with the fact that, you know, she's constantly going to be walking or, I guess, swimming around now. But with this feeling of, what if I got to her sooner? What if she had listened to me? How much of it is her fault? How much of it was Silver's own agency? How much of it can she respect? Yeah. I can only imagine the complicated, just, mess of thoughts going through her. Which is... So authentic. It's it's amazing that you can have this story of two mermaid sisters who are clearly as inhuman as possible. They eat flesh, but have it be so genuine to adolescence and the adolescent experience. I mean, it's a very teenager thing to think that you're invincible and infallible and the real world is not there, you know, to hurt you. Yep. Like, you are not going to get hurt. And then you do. And that's that's where the adulthood happens. Like, mm-hmm. it's not the sexual awakening that is the coming of age. It is the realization that you are not infallible. And in their case, that is an actual survival thing you have to be self-aware in order to not experience heartbreak in fact like so coming back to aesthetics a little bit i mean they eat hearts Mm -hmm. that's one of their main food sources that's not a must you know that's not a you know coincidence or anything that that is very (laughs) like laden imagery there of like they they have to be callous monsters that eat hearts so that their own connections and their own fragile heart doesn't ever have to be in danger basically yeah because you know ripping the heart out of something is just inhuman it it lacks any sense of acknowledgement of the creature that you were ingesting as anything but food basically so i love that they show that there and how with these characters you're also seeing that that doesn't mean that they as entities as things that are alive lack empathy and understanding and they do have a lot of human emotions but it just means that you know physiologically speaking this is something that they're going to have to do to turn off part of their brain i guess yeah yeah (laughs) where i'm gonna get that yeah i think it is like a literal opening their hearts type situation yeah (laughs) to to what is human experience like let's see what this is exactly and also it shows like the dangers that you might see in marginalized communities as well. Say, you know, if you branch out and and, and mix with others, it, there's nothing wrong, but you need to be careful and, and sheltered and make sure that that connection that you have is true. Otherwise, everybody gets hurt. Yeah. Because you're not in the position to just let <laughs> aggressors into your life, basically. And I like that they explore that here from... The position of, in a sense, they actually have a position of power, but Mm -hmm. we find that they're actually more fragile in nature than we might have 
thought they were from the beginning. It's very complicated, and, and I, I love it for that. <laughs> yes, yes. There's there's so many ways of looking at it and, and navigating what you're presented with. And it never, you know, like you mentioned earlier in musical form, they, they're going to spell everything out to you in song. And yes, I found love and I'm meeting a mm-hmm. heart. Like, that would be a song. But no, that's exactly. that's not how it goes here at all, which you know, it was great because then you're kind of pondering what this meant and what that look meant and what this wild little sequence in the middle meant. And yeah. It is a very wonderful melding of cinematic language and musical language, in my opinion, because they let the those really big, profound, clear narrative arcs mm-hmm. take place in the more narrative cinematic moments. And then they accentuate them with the musical parts. Yeah. Which is super cool. Love seeing that. I want to come back to my quote real quick, which what they, so this is a quote that comes from a scholar by the name of Elaine Scarry. This is from her book on beauty and being just so very, it's not a super big book, but there's a lot of thinking going on it. So it's a bit of a complex book. What she's trying to piece together throughout the book though, is a different way of talking about beauty within academia. So first she kind of defends a lot of how people kind of brush it aside and honestly misinterpret it so that she can finally get into how there are more moral implications on experiencing beauty, both in like beautiful people, you know, in that sense, but more in also like beautiful objects or concepts and just how this shapes our world but it's not like beauty is often considered like very dainty and fragile and broken. Oh yeah. No. Uh, you know, and whereas, you know, that's why we have the sublime to have this big masculine thing that is like, well, that overpowers you. And whereas, <sighs> you know, three, 4,000 years ago, beauty did that. Anything that was beautiful just sucked your breath away and shook you to your core. Not because it frightened you, but because it was just like, you could never achieve <laughs> in your being what this, like this feeling that has given you, you'll probably never give anything, or at least that's what you want to do. And that's where her quote comes in, is how we seem to kind of project onto the beautiful object our desires, basically, the things that we need. So, and we are also sharing the essence of that. And that's that. That's the pinpoint of that quote, because she was talking about three different things, but that was the third thing. Uh, where she was more saying, like, this is actually what she kind of felt. And that's more that beautiful things make us feel more alive because they themselves, by being beautiful, are, in a sense, more alive for our emotional uh, experience of them. I felt this was a – I don't – I want to get your feelings a little bit on that interpretation in context of this film because that's kind of how I felt the girls were treated in the film, but also how the film – treated its subject matter. And I wanted to know what you feel about that. Yeah, I I think Take that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm pro- trying to process where to, to start. I mean, I definitely think that that quote fits for sure. I, and I don't, you know, I, I kind of get the sense that this band sees them as beautiful, but I think they see their music as beautiful, not... <laughs> them themselves i think that it's like their their artistry and talents is what's beautiful because it is this interesting kind of contrast of what you would think of 
conventionally as beauty versus how it presents beauty because Mm -hmm. there's nothing really about who they are you know it allows golden and silver to be like more monstrous right they Mm -hmm. they do the actresses are definitely conventionally beautiful but it doesn't really treat them as beautiful in the movie and i like that i think there's something powerful i mean they do like when you see the film, the photo shoots and right. how they are kind of presented as burlesque because the Polish translation for the actual title, like the lure is what it is, at least stateside. But Corky right. Dancing is da- Dancing Daughters. That's literally what okay. this translates to. So, you know, I think they kind of glamorize them for the sake of selling them. But as far as they're actually concerned, they don't think of them as glamorous. They they are kind of animals that, that they're exploiting. So I don't know. I guess it's this interesting way of, like, to me, I actually find their more primal nature beautiful. Like, I find I'm attracted to their power and their free spiritedness and following through with their impulses and who they are and staying true to it. Like that's the the beauty that resonates to me versus the glamour that that's being projected upon them. Right. Uh, so I think scary would agree with you on this. I, I agree with you on this as well that, you know, when we, and this is one of the reasons I, I love discussing these topics with so many different people on the podcast is to also open that up in our brains a little bit and how, Beauty, they say beauty is only skin deep, right? Yeah. But there's a complexity to it. It's political. It's also ideological. And it is human. So there's a lot to it that is, I mean, it's a very complex emotion. Like if you just try to conjure up what it feels when you're, you know, feeling something beautiful when you witness it, it's hard to explain, right? It's just, yeah. you know it when you feel it. And <laughs> it's also because it's pure, I think that's where it comes from is things that are pure often give us a very strong sense of beauty. Uh, in the yeah, previous well episode, said. I spoke with Danny Bethay about Gojira. And the quote that I used on that uh, episode was more in line with talking about how w- the way we engage with beauty in a pure way is also just we get delight from seeing things just as they are. So as you were saying, seeing the girls in their monstrous way is actually them demasking and showing us who they really are on a daily basis mm-hmm. there's something breathtakingly beautiful about that to me yes you were right that they are conventionally beautiful and physically attractive and beautiful and they do explore that a little bit but as you say they are too commodified and fetishized throughout the film mm-hmm. and i think that's what the film is kind of doing here is it's showing a very strong distinction between fetish and a beautiful experience. Uh, because glamour, yeah, it can be beautiful, but it is still a commodity. It is you know, yes. generated to do that. And usually it's still in the realm of fetish. Even if we're not getting into sexuality necessarily or nudity or anything like that. Just Even just like glamorous makeup on a, on a beautiful yeah. face. The face can be beautiful and the makeup can be beautiful. But most of the time if it's glamorous... It's very processed. And I liked the distinction there because I also felt that the moments when those girls really radiated beauty for me 
were often when they were not in costume and when they were just like hissing at each other. Yes. <laughs> you yes. Know, things like that. Um, so I, I just love this because you really touched on something that I was hoping you were going to say. <laughs> well, yay, I'm glad. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't feel there's any right or wrong to it, but it just really excites me when like, yes, okay, so we totally agree on this. Yeah, I think, yeah, well said about the fetishization and the, yeah, the glamour, <laughs> the glamour really nails it about what, God, this movie is so complex. Like the more you could pull at a different thread and reach different layers, it's mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it also really depends on what lens you're choosing to look through as well. You could choose from the narrative. You could choose from just the images, like turn off the sound, watch it, see how it makes you feel. The music, the singing, all of it, it, it all kind of has a richness to it individually. So when you yes. put it all together, it's just, interestingly enough, it's also one of those films that's really easy to just casually watch, I feel. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, that's also the, the perk of, of a musical is that you can just let it wash over you and, and still get something from it. Yeah, but I think it's quite interesting then to really, for for, for anybody listening as well, uh, at the very least, I think it's just interesting to really point out the how we take for granted how intricate and meaningful a lot of the media we engage in actually is, even if it is a popcorn flick, even if it is something that's designed to be pretty casual, right. doesn't mean that it's lacking complexity or heart, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, every movie is technically a miracle. I mean, it is, is so hard to get a movie <laughs> made, right? Yes. That doesn't mean they're all, you know, winners. But to, to get that to you, to consume, it took a huge Herculean effort to do, whether it's successful in its aims or not. But yeah, exactly. the lore is one that you could take literal and still enjoy it. Uh, or you could, you know, interpret that art in multiple ways and still continue to get stuff out of it. Mm -hmm. That's an important uh, phrasing there. So let's say we have somebody who's listening and they're just like, this movie was shit. <laughs> they just hated everything. <laughs> Music was shit. I don't like disco. 80s are overplayed. Mermaids are dumb. And those girls annoyed the shit out of me. It's not horror enough. It's not horror. Yeah, those. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anybody, they could say anything like that. And I'd be like, you know what? You probably are right from your perspective. And that that's the thing. Taste is a huge distinction between experience. And I, I just feel that like, yeah, as you're saying, like, it doesn't change the fact that there's stuff in it and what's going on inside the film. So yeah. please, everybody. Do the extra step if you can. And I know it's really hard. It is really hard. But try to distinguish between your tastes and the value or at the very least the craftsmanship behind something that you're, you're engaging with on an artistic level. Because they are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Not liking something doesn't mean it's made poorly. And as you were also saying, Absolutely. like if something fails at what it's attempting doesn't mean that it didn't try. So it's still in there. Just you have to look for it a little harder because it failed to you know make it as clear as they were trying to make it. Yeah. Expectations play an odd role too mm -hmm. in reception that I think 
overshadow it, it plays too much of a factor you know what if you're expecting something and that could easily affect something like the lure because you think horror you know man-eating mermaids you're thinking straight you know killer mermaid monster movie or something with with disco in the background yeah no it is 100% a genre bender it does not it's a little bit of everything it, it is, and it's an easy film to kind of write off because on the surface it makes it so honestly it achieves something that is just insane that it can achieve which is it is so digestible yeah and that it like people discount it very easily i do if there's a really easy to watch movie let's say on netflix or something and i'm just scrolling through films unless i'm in the mood for that i'm very quick to just go yeah you know it doesn't seem like it's going to interest me right now i want something that's a bit more detailed or profound and i don't know you have to watch the movie to really determine that. And this is one of those movies that, as we have said multiple times, we're like, oh, God, it's just so layered. It's so complex. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it's really easy to be listening to this and be going, what are you talking about? Depending <laughs> on how you, you know, were thinking when you were watching this movie for the first time. So I do challenge anybody who saw it and was just like, I don't know. It was just a bunch of naked ladies with fishtails to me. Watch it again after yeah. with all these uh, points in mind. Definitely. There's so much going on beneath the surface, which is, you know, pun intended, I suppose. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to then just aesthetics in the way we're used to talking about aesthetics, you know, visual sounds, things like that. Right. You mentioned that you're a big nut for practical effects. So yes. I have to know. What what are your emotions when you watch the effects of these these mermaid effects? Because I'm very curious. I mean, I like them. I, I wouldn't put this at the top of my list, but I okay. think that I just applaud the design of it, that mm -hmm. I'm okay with what, what they get. Because I can't imagine that this is a huge budget. You know, this, this is, it looks great, but I can't imagine that they gave this first time filmmaker like here, go make a monster movie because that's not what she was trying to do. So the tales work. You definitely can tell how they kind of shot some of these <laughs> scenes. Right. So I, you know, this is not going to be like John Carpenter's a thing or the blob or the flyer, you know, no, no mm -hmm. masterwork of practical effects here, but I'm okay with that because I think the design is what is important and making sure you know that these are not these glorious fantasy Disneyfied uh, little mermaids here. These mm. are some monstrous beings that, that you would not, if you were in the water, you know, diving and you saw this go by, you would not be like a sailor lured to his doom by beauty, you know? And I like that. I, th I like that contrast of expectation versus reality. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I really enjoyed how they actually kind of show this with the band at the beginning of it as well. You have the men who get kind of caught up in the song, mm -hmm. but then you have the woman, the lead singer, I, who I guess was just drunk enough that it wasn't working on her. Uh, <laughs> she's just vibing by the fire about to go upstairs and then she turns around and she just screams when she sees what's in the water yes. and all we see is them like shoulder like out of the water so we, don't, we just see naked girls in the water basically so we're like what are you okay what did you see 
And I thought for a moment that they had killed everybody because, you know, sirens going to siren. And uh, no, it was awesome to see that they were in the dressing room and the band was still alive and all that. And I'm sure there had to be an interesting conversation that we did not get to see of calming that woman down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then when you see the design of the tails, I get it then. Because just like with any fish, they have the different spines and, and scales and stuff that are to protect them. So they're just aggressive looking enough that you'd think twice before you would grab one of them by the tail or do anything because it's going to cut you up. Yes. I loved that, but without them doing the thing where they like fully transform and their faces change or anything like that, just teeth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you, you know, if they're mermaids, that's what you think of as a mermaid. So they they do enough to retain your concept of what a mermaid would look like, but monster it up a bit, you know? So it's not like the most wonderful practical effects in the land, but it's, it's enough <laughs> to really make an impact on what they're going for. So, right. you know, it works. But that's, a, and I love to hear you say that as somebody who is a bit of a connoisseur for practical effects, because I think that's another thing that uh, listeners and, and viewers of horror would benefit from is this, understanding that we can be critical of course you can be critical of the application but unless we're seeing an application that fails like there are some wonderful 80s movies out there that you like kudos to them for even doing practical effects instead of just doing (laughs) stuff off camera but there there are moments when you're kind of like would you have been better off just making it mysterious and me not knowing what was going on because i can see that the latex came off of this person's face or there's a piston that's in the shot things like that yeah Uh, and in this case i don't there is none of that it's all handled very you know professionally and, and then done quite well but as you say like well there's no magic trick here it's just people sitting in a bathtub and they have a tail flipping out of the end of it. It's not <laughs> like rocket yeah. science material here. Uh, there's no like big CGI or anything to impress you with. But as you were saying, design goes a long way. So what are you conveying with the design? Are the colors nice? Are At the very least, what we see on their bodies, is it seamless? Things like that. And I think they did a good enough job there that... Mm-hmm. The suspension of disbelief was not pulled away from me at any point. In fact, I, apart from that first transformation, they do a great job of doing everything off camera, and you just kind of know. You're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like the scene uh, on the shore where she's in the car attacking somebody, and you just see like a quick cut of the tail moves, like slithering in mm-hmm. the dirt or the sand. It's like, yeah, you you know how that's done, but it's never to to its detriment. Yes, exactly. So, again, I just broached this because of how often or how quickly we can get caught up in good. That word, good. And, yeah. like, what is the value of good if everything else about it is effective? I like effective yeah. more than good. Is it effective? Because for me, a good story, <laughs> a good story, <laughs> is affecting. And if you can keep me in and not push me away... It's good. May not be the yeah. best, but it's yeah. good enough. And good enough is good enough, in my opinion. Right. If you're not breaking that wall and taking the audience out of it, then yeah, you're pulling it off. Exactly. And of course, acting 
can go a long way here as well. Like I said, a lot of these sequences where they're transforming, it's off screen. Yeah. But we see people looking at them. So they cut to somebody's face. They can just like, you see that little glimmer in their eye of like, man, it's, it's always fucking cool when I see this happen. <laughs> and I, yeah, I would rather that than, you know, we, we did something that definitely was going to distract. Yes, yes. I, I want to talk about one, at least one last narrative thing that, because uh, sure. we did discuss how the sisters are, you know, the protagonists, they're our main focus here. But there is just enough focus on the family band Mm -hmm. that I liked that they had, if you can't empathize with the creatures, if you do feel like the bassist and like you're just (laughs) a fish to me, uh, they have some people who are really trying to figure out how they feel about all this and also explore their kind of toxic family life in the periphery of all this. Yes. So I want to give them just a little bit of attention because I felt there were some interesting things that kind of pop up here. And also, you know, I think we'll eventually get back to the ending of the film again. It'd be a nice wrap-up area. Yeah, uh, I like them. I mean, they they add some comedic moments, especially between the <laughs> yeah. husband and wife, uh, especially on, at the wedding. But yeah, it's you get a sense that throughout the entire thing that, everybody's very human in the sense mm-hmm. that flaws they there's flaws but that doesn't condemn them you know they they're not written off as terrible people they're just humans who make some not so great choices uh sometimes or oftentimes but they aren't <laughs> malintented for the most part so you know like the the bassist that crushes poor silver's heart you know he says who he is up front and you understand you it it does a good job basically of of getting you to empathize and understand where these people are coming from uh i think that the singer does have motherly intent you Mm. know there there's definitely some mothering moments that you know and eventually the her children outgrow her and she doesn't know what to do with that she's a little bit fearful understandably so so yeah i think i think spot on these people have a little bit more depth to them to kind of further enrich this whole story exactly i really appreciated that they weren't just foils for our protagonists that they were just there to like have the story happen that Mm -hmm. if you connect with them enough you can sense the tragedy in their story as well and really feel for them and how them accepting these girls into their lives is kind of like just flip the table basically like for all of the good there's also this a lot of unsaid familial drama <laughs> kind of going oh, on yeah. that they have to explore and it's only through these dire circumstances that it actually starts to come to a head i love the mother analysis that you've you've put on the the singer because yeah like i like i was saying with the, the quote here it's like every single person that we see, at least the ones that are given a bit more of a, in, in, you know, a more complex character, they all kind of project onto the girls what they kind of need out of them. So, mm-hmm. like for the husband, it's like, oh, uh, youthful women around him because he's in a band. He kind of is like, yeah. oh, cool, you know. And at the same time, as a you know, this businessman, he's like, and they're awesome, so we're gonna do well. Like he's just happy that they're around for multiple reasons. You do have the singer who is just like, hey, another opportunity to be a mom because my son kind of had to grow up too fast. He's in a band. 
It's kind of how it felt there. It also feels a little bit, I mean, maybe this is me reading too much into it, but it also feels like I am a woman in this very kind of male Mm -hmm. place. And so I can at least help you through this from, from a woman's perspective. Absolutely. In fact, like she goes through a journey that we don't get to explore. And I love that they're like, let's just get to it. So she, she starts with you're a monster. And then she's the one who's like, I have to protect these girls from all these lecherous men, yeah. <laughs> basically. And she's there for them emotionally, and, and she's trying to like, hey, I, I'm the the wisdom here. I know how this world works and how just disgusting it is uh, for people like us, basically. Yeah. So no, I, I don't think you're stretching at all with that interpretation. And of course, the son is just he's a teenage dude, so yeah. <laughs> it's not much to that. But I love yeah. that they don't. He is a pretty blank slate of a character. Um, and, but what I love is that they do have moments of just exploring them. So the moment they they killed the girls, or at least in their mind, they killed the girls. Yeah, thought they'd remove themselves of this problem. Yeah, it all falls apart, and we don't really get any sort of exposition as to what they're thinking. No. Just emotions. No. Yeah. It's this literal whirlwind music sequence that yeah. has no explanation. It is just a downward spiral that honestly can feel out of place. You know, I think if you are mm-hmm. taking it at face value, you might be like, what the hell is happening right now? But yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of a, a manifestation of guilt of what they've done. I mean, the yeah. way that they look at each other at, at, after the doing the deed, uh, yeah, I think that all of their lifestyle is catching up to them at once. I think it's just this huge implosion that is so fascinating the way that they film that. Yeah, and I think it's also because they all kind of, like you said, guilt is the, is the good word here because at first it's like you can blame whoever. You can blame the dad for you know being the one to punch them in the face. You can right. blame whoever had the idea to dump them overboard, yeah, so on and so forth. You're going to snowball that. But, yeah, when they get home, they basically just realize, like, well, we all kind of wanted this yeah. for the same reasons, you know. And, of course, the only thing you really blame is the industry. That's all they were thinking of is their livelihoods and, and their lives being normal, quote unquote. Right. And I liked that through this just massive fight and binge and just – sitting around <laughs> catching their breath basically for a night. Yeah. They just, they're a family again when they go back to work. I thought that was so interesting how they come <laughs> back together. Cause they were like, we're just going to share the, the burden together. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I think that's also kind of a sign. I mean, it's this weird kind of fast forward a little bit. And, it is. Yeah. And this, like we, we've come back together, but we're, we're broken underneath. Like th- yeah. that's that's kind of a, a point of no return for for them as as they were like who they were before. That's it's like a almost a rock and roll funeral. I love that a rock and roll funeral. Yeah, exactly. So plus, uh, yeah, I, I do think that the reconciliation is also handled a little too quickly for my feeling. It's just golden bites a finger off of the dad. Just like what? I'm not mad. <laughs> 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 and I get that that's just her power playing, like just to remind you, yeah. bite your limbs off. Right. But the fact that they want to return was the weird part to me. Like, why aren't you mad? <laughs> I mean, I think that they 
were a little bit. I don't think they'd, I think that for them, their ambitions had kind of taken precedence. And so it's like, all right, well, we're, we're going to make our power play, but you Mm -hmm. know, they still have pursuits that they want. I think that's why, you know, Silver's love. She still loves this person. She holds her parents, her human parents, so to speak, more responsible in her mind, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So she wants to pursue him. Golden is got, you know, she's discovering music through Triton. So, uh, yeah, I think that at that point it's like things are changing They just haven't realized it yet. Right, right. I guess I would have been interested in seeing that explored a little more. I guess more in that, like maybe the family being really under the thumb of them emotionally. Uh, Maybe having more of Silver's love be, but maybe, you know what, as I'm saying it, like, no, I actually really love that Silver is just, just pure as hell. Um, That there's really no ill will from her side of things towards you know, the boy, how she's yeah. just kind of like, not it's necessarily I forgive you, but it's love. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so interesting uh, because at no point after that, you know, I mean, Hiley drifts off and he goes and gets married to somebody else and she doesn't do anything to be like, remember, I'm a siren, <laughs> which you kind of expect. Well, I mean, by the, by the time that he does that, you know, she's she's lost the ability to sing. So... That's true. That is it's true. Like, so yeah, they end up together, but he's he's like not willing to consummate that for mm-hmm. obvious reasons until she makes the choice that you know breaks the spell. Sure, I, I guess I'm also saying like beyond a spell, like what you have, what I love with Golden, she didn't use a spell. She just scared the shit out of him. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna kill you if you ever try that again. So I choose to forgive you, small humans. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. what she did. So I was kind of surprised that Silver didn't take that on on some level. Maybe that was her power play is just showing up, you know. Fair. Just the threat of being there and returning <laughs> is is probably a power play. Just a very nonverbal one. That's true. And sometimes those are the more powerful ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does. It's it's a ballsy move to be like, you did this to me and here I am. And now I hug you. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, keep your enemies close type of fear. Can you imagine just dumping somebody overboard, thinking you've off them and they show up and they're just smiling at you. That's eerie. That is very eerie. Yeah, you make a good point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's minor, but again, it's like you have to unpack some of this stuff. Yes, and there's there's still so much to it. Um, so what I was getting to with the family then is it also changes a little bit that final scene. The more you you know, since we did have a little bit of alone time with them and got to explore their guilt and the way they work as a family, and although as you say they were changed and they were broken as a band. I think it was more like they chose to be a family who have problems, but have to do the band. So you kind of like just turn on your professional, okay, this is this energy is for the audience, but we're probably going to be pretty sad and eating quietly when we get home. <laughs> and still there's a, a, a wholesomeness to that, the mere fact that they're not still like beating the hell out of each other constantly. Oh, right. And so at the end, I just loved that when Golden kills him, 
-hmm. neither parent does anything not to say that they gave up on him but that they just the looks on their faces of her like yeah we knew we knew this was going to end this way Yes, and it seems like mom goes to try and comfort, you know, she's a little bit bereft and like not sure how to go about that, because how can you, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's almost like she wants to go to her. And yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those, almost like a trial by fi- fire scenario, where mm-hmm. it's like, these people got they didn't intend to catch some mermaids, but they did. And eventually, you know, being together, you, you develop some bonds that weren't, I mean, they were genuine to an extent. It's not like it was a whole entire spell. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of like this all around melancholic mood, you know, dad and mom kind of looking at each other tentatively of like what could have been, they are no longer Mm -hmm. together. You know, mom and dad got divorced, son, grew up and he's getting married to someone else who wasn't the the chosen daughter, you know? Yep. So it's just, it's like this all around breaking up of a family. That's it's, it's a bummer. And you lose all your kids. And that, that's, I think that was with the look in her eyes, at least like the reason why she's lost two of them gone. And she mm-hmm. comes to terms with that so damn fast, <laughs> probably because she could see it coming. Yeah. But then the fact that golden, Swims away. Yeah. It was so interesting. She looked like she was about to jump in the water herself just to go try to talk to her. Oh, yeah. Um, that, for me, was the extra gut punch that they chose to really even try to make you care about these people that were kind of like, you know, set dressing <laughs> for a lot of yeah. the exploits of these two girls. Uh, and it's just like everybody has a reason to be sad there at the end. Even Triton. They don't show him, but you know that he's like, yep. yeah. Warns he, you. He was, <laughs> yeah, he, he called it. He tried to, to help, you know, even a little bit of a coach or mentor. So, yeah, it's just, it's a it's a downer. And I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, a good downer is a good, good ending. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if there were any other elements of it that you briefly wanted to uh, talk about or if you feel that we have uh, covered just about everything. I think we've covered it. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that, too. But, you know, it's a very complex film. I'm sure as soon as we're done recording, we're going to be like, ah, we should have mentioned this. Ah, we should have mentioned that. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I do feel pretty good. Yeah, me too. It, I, so, yeah, really rich film. If you have listened this far and you still haven't watched it because you don't really mind spoilers, check it out. You know, based on our description of this film, uh, we may have given you some of the heart and soul of it, but, hey, the endings are not the entirety of a story. So there's so much to it that is worthy of experiencing regardless of what you know. So please yeah. be sure to check out The Lure. Well, then, uh, I'm going to briefly wrap things up. So before we get into our thank yous and endings and stuff, I'm going to do a little bit of a, in, not preamble, but I guess amble at this point. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Post-amble. So like, this podcast is a part of the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad, so be sure to follow the Anatomy of Screen Podcast page on your preferred podcast platform to check out more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts, including 28 Days Lady-er, hosted by Sophie and Hannah Day, XOXO Horror, and 
and much more. You can find more info at anatomyofascream.com. And if you are interested in more of my musings on beauty and horror, or just horror in general, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore shockaholic. And you can check out my website, which is shockaholic.org, which hopefully will have some changes soon if they haven't already happened, because this is a little later in December, but I, I, I am recording this a little sooner. But keep an eye on that website. Some exciting things are coming, and I hope everybody uh, enjoys it as much as I have enjoyed planning it all. Um, so, dear listeners, what are your thoughts on the lore? I'd love to hear your thoughts on Twitter, which is at beautyhorrorpod. You can email me at beautyofhorrorpod at gmail.com, or you can come on to Discord, and we can chat about it in real time. So, a lot of options. But, Megan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me, talk about this, and for bringing up a movie that... I'm just so happy that I have now seen <laughs> and to have had in my life because I think it was such a wonderful experience. Where can everybody find you? And is there anything you would like to plug in specific right now? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am <laughs> beyond thrilled to have introduced this movie to you. Um, you can <laughs> find me on Twitter at Haunted Meg. So, yeah, I basically, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things going on, so many things. Just check her out on Twitter and you will see what she's up to. But especially check out the Bloody Disgusting podcast if you haven't done so, even though, I mean, I don't know why you're here and you haven't been there already, but please <laughs> rectify that immediately. Uh, you'll have a lot of fun with her and all the co-hosts, which I hope to have on at some point as well. Uh, but that is a topic for another day. <laughs> so for now, I want to say thank you, dear listener, for joining us and talking about the beauty that lurks within the horrible. Goodbye.